0: And welcome to the swamp. You've got Russ. Um it's gonna be a rui free episode today. I uh, tried to get him get him involved but uh the last few weeks, but uh he just hasn't been able to make it. Never mind. You've got me, that should be enough for you. Enough. And uh what have we got on the show today? Uh we've got a number of uh fabulous topics. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, that thing called the Universal Basic Income. It's been in the news lately with uh, Greens uh, leader Richard Di Natale talking about it. Um, And it's certainly come into my life in other ways as well, so I felt like talking about that. We'll be... Talking about the film Tomb Raider, the new version. I saw that just um, the other day, and also I'm going to go way back to about least a year ago and uh, talk about um, that Ridley Scott film, Alien Covenant. And during that, because of the themes of that film, I may even be talking a little bit about. God, yes, God, the man, the woman, the thing, whatever you want to call it, um, don't be scared, I'm going to leave that till the very end of this podcast, so if you don't want to hear it. Um, you can dip out before I will give you a warning when it's coming up uh, and speaking of God anyway as I just was um, I'd like to remind you I'm not sure if there was a, a real segue here but I'd like to remind you that the swamp is as always brought to you by the portals of to entertain inspire and inform and transform and I really like this idea of transformation within uh, the portals because in some ways the portals themselves the, the four of them explain a the type of transformation going from entertain inspire inform transform uh, entertain is the more sort of basic sort of surface the appearance of things and and just the surface enjoyment of things um, and it gets deeper as it goes from there and and that's also another idea about the swamp the swamp is also a metaphor for all of that that there are, are hidden depths in that swamp and there are shallows and uh, all the rest of it sort of thing I like playing around with, the sort of literary construct that I like to play around with. And I, I'm really happy that it's there. And I was reminded of these things uh, the other day when I went on Facebook and, and I saw um, an, an old colleague, a friend of mine, a fellow called Josh Bain, had put up a, um, an article on his site that he'd written with his father something like 15 years ago. Josh Bain is someone I've mentioned before on on the program, Um, he had a band The Going Away Party and then we featured one of their songs an old work colleague and so he had this um, article up on his uh, Facebook page and, and I, it was called A Note on Primary Spirit Josh is a bit of a spiritual fellow he's um, very philosophical he's done some philosophical studies at university and so forth and, and his father apparently was really into it too and so they wrote this article A Note on Primary Spirit and I had a look at it and I was really struck by one of the opening comments I'll quickly quote that now The transformations which may occur for individuals often go much deeper than increased work capacities and include transformations in personal, family, social and spiritual aspects of life. And I was really struck by that. Um, to, To see that thought, the idea of transformations coming up yet again it's all over the place when you think about it. transform it's it's it seems to be the buzzword uh, people are physically transforming these days um from you know genders and so forth and uh and the transformations obviously can go um in other ways and in, in terms of our thought and, and our belief systems and uh and our changed outlooks on life um they're all around us people uh just be aware of them and uh and think about them that's all I ask. Now let's have some new adventures in pop culture. Russ, are you feeling swamped? I am so swamped I you just can't believe it. It's time for a new adventure. I think you're right. Yeah. A new adventure in pop culture. Though. A new adventure in pop culture. About feeling swamped. all right we've got new adventures in pop culture now and you're with russ on the swamp uh what new adventures have i had lately well um yeah, as usual books i've read um and i would like to take this opportunity to follow up some stuff that we talked about Rui, Rui and i talked about uh, in a recent podcast about that concept that we came up with called vampire capitalism still ought to talk about that and it definitely was reflected in in a book that I read, a fabulous book uh, called The Corporation by a guy called Joel Bakan or B-A-K-A-N The Pathological Pursuit of Profit and Power. Um, He makes some really interesting points in this book um, to do with what I would call vampire capitalism and how to basically... um, Overcome it. How how to stake it? How to defang it? However you want to say, and that's all about sort of defanging vampire capitalism. And uh, he has some really good suggestions uh And so I'll give you some of the the main points in point form. He um he doesn't really he's sort of not I would say he's not um advocating for any kind of really revolutionary reforms. In some ways, he's conservative, and I guess rightly so because the point he makes is that um. Um, a more revolutionary approach to uh, change is, is somewhat utopian in today's uh, climate, um, and he's sort of not concerned with that. He's leaving that to revolutionary ratbags like me and um, socialist parties and uh, and all, you know the usual suspects. Um, but he's being he's trying to sort of connect, I guess, with the mainstream in this book, and and not alienate them with his suggestions and and be fairly moderate. And I think that's fair enough. Um, I certainly get where he's coming from, and and um, and, and some of his ideas, observations, are really interesting. Um, he talks about one of one of the great tactics that can be used against corporations is this thing called charter revocation, which. Basically, means any business, any corporation is subject to uh, the possibility of having its charter revoked. I mean, these these corporations they actually exist at the at the pleasure of the public and of governments. Uh, and and if governments and public don't like what they're doing, we can push to have their charter revoked. And it has happened in the past, or uh, nearly has happened with certain companies. Uh, um, and he details some of them but, but it's, it's, it's a threat that's always there that it's an option that we have and, and I thought that was interesting and he also talks about um, how corporations aren't always necessarily private I mean there are things called public purpose corporations something that we forget about things like the post service um, some of them have, have not been privatised yet and it's, it's good to keep that sort of thing in mind that there are large corporations uh, we have telecom uh, who's part. Uh, I still owned by the government, um, that are still public, and um, and that's a good thing. Um, now, the, but the most important part of the book for me, um, I found myself skimming a lot because of a lot of it was stuff I knew. But um, towards the end, he gives us sort of a summing up about actions that can be taken and uh, he has four points There's four things in particular that he thinks can be used to help um, bring corporations in line to defang these corporate vampires um, i'll give you the four points and, and give you a brief reading for each of them um, his first idea is to improve the regulatory system second one is to strengthen political democracy third is to create a robust public sphere and finally the fourth one, to challenge international neoliberalism. All right, let's take those points uh, one at a time. Uh, Improving the regulatory system, what does he have to say about that? Um, Government regulation should be reconceived and re-legitimated as the principal means for bringing corporations under democratic control and ensuring that they respect the interests of citizens, communities, and the environment. It goes without saying, he's talking a lot about systems that have been so often deregulated so that uh, these neoliberals can do whatever they want. We need to bring some more regulation back for them. Um, it goes without saying, really. And he gives a number of other points about using regulatory systems, but I won't go into. Um, let's go to the next point, uh, strengthening political democracy. Uh, what he says here, elections should be publicly financed, corporate political donations phased out and tighter restrictions imposed on lobbying and the revolving door flow of personnel between government and business. Though corporations have a place in representing their concerns in government and cooperating with government on policy initiatives, the special status they currently enjoy as partners with governments endangers the democratic process. Here, here, and uh, his point about creating a robust public sphere—he has some really interesting things to say about that. Um, Creating a robust public sphere. What does he mean? Well, let me explain this to you um, in his own words. Social groups and interests judged to be important for the public good are too or too precious, vulnerable, or morally sacred to be subject to corporate exploitation. Should be governed and protected by public regimes. These social groups he's talking about are things like um, children's minds and imagination, schools, universities, cultural institutions, water and power utilities, health and welfare services, police, courts, prisons, firefighters, parks, nature reserves, genes and other biological materials and public spaces. Uh, these are all likely likely candidates for him. But he goes on. But these are healthy debates to have, far healthier than the increasingly prevalent presumption that no public interest exists beyond the accumulated financial interests of individual corporations, consumers, and shareholders. A fabulous point there. Um, we so often seem to put that aside the public sphere, as though as though it's irrelevant in some way. That it's 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 not our concern for some reason. Another candidate that, for example, that I would have included that he didn't mention there is libraries, um, very public spaces that um, sometimes get short shrift, and because of this lack of a, a robust public sphere, I guess. And finally, um, his challenge to international neoliberalism: um, nations should work together to shift the ideologies and practices of international institutions such as the World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund and World Bank away from market, market fundamentalism and its facilitation of deregulation and privatisation. The current ideological biases of these institutions are not written in stone. Indeed, their original mandate formulated at Bretton Woods reflected the economic theories of John Maynard Keynes, and thus a very different orientation than they have today. Um, some fabulous thoughts there, some fabulous ideas from Joel Bacan and the corporation. Further ado. How do we sound? Are we good? Are we very good? I think so. Very I good. think sound levels are good. Alright, well let's continue with the clapping on then. Okay, so um on.
1: <laughs> come on.
0: You got it. Uh. The Swamp I had a birthday recently. Um uh, yeah, but um I'm over fifty, yes, yes. Uh and the interesting thing for me, um I went online on on my birthday and um I don't know if you noticed, but uh, when it's your birthday, good old Google, if you go to Google, they will give you a special birthday um, presentation on on the page. It's, there's a birthday cake, and uh, it'll say happy birthday to you, specifically you. Um, and I'm assuming it'll do this if it knows some of your information, if you've um, put that into, uh, into your Google account or whatever. So that they know about that, that probably helps. Um, but it was an interesting little welcome to get when I, when I opened up my my computer that day, and and I, I only got that little birthday welcome. And also there was some there was a link when I when I clicked on the little graphic, and the the link took me to um, a, s- a series of Wikipedia pages about um, the the day of my birth, which in this case is the twenty eighth of March, and it told me things about people who. Uh, other people who were born on that day and people who died on that day and things that happened. And I found it very interesting. It's something I would definitely recommend for anyone enjoying a birthday to do this. In fact, you don't really need to wait for that. Just just check it out and, and, and get some interesting information. For example... I discovered from this that uh, other people who were born on my birthday um, people like Dirk Bogart the actor, Flora Ro- Ro- Robson, the actress, um, some of these people you may not know and, and uh, clearly there were lots and lots of people I didn't know I sort of zeroed in on the ones that I did know and um and that they were um, some of these people. Neville Bonner, Australian politician. Uh, Diane Weiss, another actress who'd been in uh, some Woody Allen films. Jay Livingston, who may not be familiar to you, but he's a songwriter. He wrote a number of amazing popular theme songs for TV. Him and another fellow who's known, I forget, um, he, like, he wrote, for example, the Gilligan's Island theme song. And... Uh, and a hundred other such songs um, that that I think um, the, the Flint, Fred Flintstone theme song as well is, isn't is there but there's a whole bunch of them and so I was very chuffed to see that Jay and I share a birthday and then there's also Michael Parkinson, good old Parky and um, an Australian boxer called Johnny Famichon. Um, some of you may, may remember him uh, a lightweight boxer from really the 1970s I guess uh, Johnny and me and... And there's also Vince Vaughn and uh, Julia Stiles, uh, a young actress, who are, whose stuff I've seen and, and I quite uh, liked her. Um, they quite a feisty, interesting um, young woman, I would say. She was in a film called um, Ten Things I Hate About You, I think, with... Um, Keith Ledger a few years back um, sort of an update of Shakespeare's Taming of the Shoe she was in that Julia Stiles and probably the most well-known personality um, who I share a birthday with would have to be Lady Gaga believe it or not me and Lady Gaga whoa but I've left the best to last. Um, for me, the the, the person whose uh, birthday I share with, who I'm most chuffed to have a connection with, is a fellow called Maxim Gorky. Maxim Gorky is a Russian novelist from the 19th century. Really, um, he wrote a series of books. With the, the most well-known one, My Childhood. Um, I remember reading that at high school. It was a uh, it was a required text, and and loving it. And uh, I just really love that I share a birthday now with maxim gorky and there's also other things like ivan the terrible died uh, apparently on the 28th of march (laughs) a few other things like that um but yeah it was interesting it was very interesting um to to see those connections and uh, what else crops up and connections there were other connections in, in my life um during um during the week um i was reading another book you gotta see this which is basically um a a bunch of interviews with a lot of film film stars and movie directors asking them basically what are their favourite films. Uh, this is a book by a, a woman called Cindy Perlman and uh, my favourite film is The Wizard of Oz and there were three people in the book who cited The Wizard of Oz as their favourite book as well and so there was another point of connection for me right there. Uh, who were the three people? Um, well, Uh, I'll tell you the first two, Uh, one was Heath Ledger himself, the man I just talked about, Australian actor who died tragically not that long ago and uh, and another one is my man um, Johnny Depp, Uh, Johnny Depp actually uh, likes it as well, it's his favourite film. And what does old Johnny have to say about the film? Uh, Here it is. I grew up loving The Wizard of Oz. To tell you the truth, I longed to see the movie again and again because I wanted to go to Oz. I wanted to have a tornado sweep me up and take me away from the life I was living as a teenager. I wished that Auntie M was my aunt. I didn't have many friends and thought if only I could meet a Tin Man or a Scarecrow, that maybe I wouldn't feel alone." Fabulous, and uh, there's a third person um, who uh, whose identity i have left till last. Um, is someone I, I don't much like. I hate his films. Um, I think as a person he seems a bit uh, a bit drab, a bit ordinary, and, and annoying. I guess more than anything, it's Adam Sandler. Believe it or not, who who also cites The Wizard of Oz as his favorite film. Um, and I guess the reason I don't like Adam uh, as a high school uh, a substitute teacher. So many times, especially in the noughties, I was forced to watch a bunch of those stupid films he made, like the Water Boy and so forth, um, because that's what teachers left for me to to, to give to the classes—a bloody Adam Sandler film—and I had to sit through the damn thing. So I know what I'm talking about when I say that that I, that I don't think the films are crap and I don't like them. Um, just. Pure old rubbish, and um, but now of course I've got to rethink old Adam. If you know, if he actually finds Wizard of Oz his favourite, as it is mine, uh, we have that much in common. I have to, um, I have to transform my ideas about old Adam. I guess Um, he can't be as bad as I thought. Um, but he still keeps making crap movies, so um, there is that. But yeah, that that was interesting. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, I, I could talk about that film forever. Film directed by Victor Fleming. Uh, he went on to direct uh, Gone with the Wind in the same year, 939. Starring uh, Judy Garland as Dorothy um, I love the film so much. Um, I guess for me, the, the, the thing about the film that, that really gets me, is uh, a couple of things. I really love the transition from black and white to colour in the film where we go from black and white in Kansas and then when Dorothy gets to the land of Oz, it t- suddenly turns into colour. A fabulous technical concept there, uh, that, which is very rarely used since. So I think one of the reasons why you don't see it uh, it's used as often as you think it might be, simply because it's like there's no point in bothering anymore. It was done with the Wizard of Oz, and uh, um, you can't really improve upon that. Um, the other thing, there's a particular scene in the in the film that is so good. It's probably my favourite scene in in all cinema. It's the scene where uh, the the dog Toto is. Um, on the drawbridge and has to jump off the drawbridge to escape from the witch's castle and, and he does so and in the background there's Dorothy, you know, yelling um, he got away, he got away, just can't believe that he's actually made it and she's sad at the same time because he got away but she's still there and uh, such an amazing scene, uh, just the the shot of the dog um, just squirming across the, 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 the drawbridge sort of uncertain whether it could make it. It's just a great piece of acting on the dog's part and a little side comment the, the dog Toto was a male dog but the dog who played him was a, a female dog I know that because I have various books about the Wizard of Oz and, and I know all kinds of trivia which I could bore you with but I won't. But yeah, it's an amazing film that becomes... It just transcends itself when it gets to the, the witch's castle, I think, and, and it gets even better, yeah, if it was possible. And, and that scene just takes me to a place that um, no other film has done it, and and I love it to bits, and, and I watch that film on a regular basis because it always inspires me and, tra- I guess, transforms me. So I guess I have to ask the question, what's your favourite
1: film? <laughs> the rainbow way off the That you
0: dare to dream really do come true. I've been watching TV a little bit lately, you know, as you do and as I do. and uh, some things that have come up that I want to talk about I guess the main one is the UBI the Universal Basic Income which I'll get to shortly uh, because it has appeared on TV Uh, but a a couple of other things I would like to mention in passing Uh, the Commonwealth Games are still on as I speak Um, and the news programs are all over it of course and um, celebrating the work of our fabulous Australian athletes, and and I don't I don't want to sort of uh, put them down and and say anything bad about them, but uh, gotta say I'm um, I'm a bit underwhelmed about um, all our successes in this Commonwealth Games. It's it's kind of a freebie for us Australians, really, isn't it? The Commonwealth Games. It's not exactly the Olympic Games, is it? You know, we're not competing against the the big heavyweights like the U.S. and and Russia and so forth. We're competing against relatively small countries from a sporting point of view like like india and and canada and great britain um and we're way on top with our medal tally and you know it's all rah 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 yeah great but um it's a bit of a cheap shot i think uh you know so i'm a little bit over that i have this so yeah a bit of a freebie there um I've been doing a lot of YouTube viewing on my TV. I've managed to hook up my my internet to my PlayStation and, and my, my YouTube and, and therefore been able to watch my YouTube on my big screen and it's been great. Uh, I've been just picking out on the second season of um, Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir as, as you do. Um, hopefully it'll get to uh, free to air soon, that show it's an animated show made in France set in France, Uh, beautiful show. I think I've mentioned it before, been enjoying that, and enjoying a bunch of um, music videos that are available on various favourite bands like the Hollies, I've just been watching some Moody Blues stuff, Um, Justin Haywood interviews Uh, it just amazes me the, the things that are available to us fans of Artists of any stripe and colour For example, with the Moody Blues I actually had an old... um interview that was given of, of uh, Justin Hayward um, f- that I recorded back in the early 1980s on um, a show called Rock Arena and I thought I might upload that to the, to the internet and, and share it with the community. But before I did that I thought we should check to see whether it was already up there and, and of course it already was. Well, someone had put that up there an even better pitch quality than I had so that was great. It saved me some time but um, another example there basically of um of what the community does it what's available to us everything and anything is, is there it's it's amazing it just amazes me i love it and apart from uh, picking out on all those things i was also um doing some research on on the universal basic income it's uh i discovered a, a number of interesting um videos about it which um explore the issue of what do you what do you do when you when you give everyone a basic income beyond uh, having to work for it anymore and uh, and with the good and the bad, the positive and the negative and uh, I think the most interesting speaker I, I encountered was a fellow called Guy Standing, a British fellow who uh, heads um, uh, a network called BEIN, B-E-I-N the Basic Income Earth Network and uh, they've been around for at least 20 years and he's been working on, on the basic income idea for since that long at least and so he knows what he's talking about it, has lots of information at his fingertips, and uh, and I was so interested in what he had to say that I actually bought the book he'd written, A Basic Income and How We Can Make It Happen on Pelican, um, because I really want to explore this subject and, and know as much as I can about it and, and talk about it, uh, because I believe in it, I guess. Guy Standing, when I first looked him up on the internet, the first thing I found was Guy standing, running, jumping, hopping. <laughs> what a silly name that is when you think about it. But uh, the man himself, not silly, uh, really switched on and interesting. Um, of course, uh, our Greens representative Richard Di Natale, has mentioned it and set the the feathers flying, basically uh, in in especially in, in mainstream media, uh, the Herald Sun and all those typical Murdoch. Assholes uh, come out against it and against Richard Dinatali's talk, and as you'd expect, because it threatens the very basic of uh, capitalist society when you think about it, and what they're on about, and uh, and I like that. I think that's great. It's good, and you know, and clearly, the, the one of the main issues that people have around the UBI is simply it's it's one of implementation. How do we how do we do that how do we get the money to pay for it okay i i'm not, not going to argue about that i'm not even going to talk about it because i'll leave that to others who, who know better uh, to come up with with an answer to that to me i'm more focused on what it is and what it represents um the important thing is the basic idea whether you agree with it or not the, that that basic concept forget about the implementation forget about whether people will work or not um, just focus on that uh, so I read some articles online uh, I was actually on the AIM network um, AIM in uh, the aim network which is an interesting sort of i guess you call it a left wing think tank or left wing blog if you like uh and i read an article that was actually a little disparaging about the the uh, ubi it was um called why the ubi is a very bad idea and it was by a fellow called john Kelly. and i was reading that and uh, i Got me thinking that, uh, and that's something that I'd like to throw my two cents worth in about the issue, and just get out of here. Uh, one of the things uh, Kelly said in, in the the article is that um, basically it's about people paying for paying to do nothing, and that, and that is as silly as it sounds. And um, he's not the only one who's made that comment. One uh, of one of the, one of the um, panels that I saw on 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 YouTube that that featured guy standing was a lady. Yeah, you know, I also talked about this idea that the UBI is actually nothing and I would just briefly address that idea um, because I don't think it's true. Uh, the idea that you give people money to live, to exist, is an important thing. It's not something for nothing. It's actually helping a human being survive when you think about it. it's uh, We are all born into this world Innocent. We didn't ask to be born and, and we are here. So in some ways the world owes us a living. It owes, owes us our lives. It, we have a basic right to exist, to have food, clothing and shelter, you would think. Um, we shouldn't have to justify our existence as we normally do under the system that we live under, under welfare, with that, that uh, concept of mutual obligation. Uh, should we really be subject to it? Um, bottom line, I don't have a problem with the mutual, the the, the principle of mutual obligation. I, I w- live it out every day when I I work at uh, the op shop. I work at. Um, I don't mind giving back to the community. But bottom line, if I wasn't able to, if the jobs weren't there, if I couldn't do them, um, I still need to exist, and that's why we have a welfare system. I would thought, in, in, after all. Uh, uh, recognition that human beings need to survive, and and if the markets not going to going to give it to us, if employees aren't going to give it to us, government's going to have to step in and, and do it and help us out, or or charities perhaps. But something needs to be done, and it's a basic right, a basic need, and and it helps us live. It, it's it's not something for nothing. It helps helps our dignity. Helps us actually. Think about doing our own thing and, and maybe be creative and, and maybe recreate our own lives, transform our lives, transform our work, maybe come up with our own ideas for work, our own businesses. We can't do that if we don't have anything to live on. We can't do it if we, we're we stuck in this, this cycle of survival and fear that is placed upon us by the whole work income um, dichotomy so it's not something for nothing and it's not a, silly, not a silly thing to do giving people, you're not paying people to do nothing, it's not something for nothing and and of course I could talk about corporations, how often they get something for nothing, anyone who's got a pretty good portfolio, who's getting all kinds of interest uh, Payments—they're getting something for nothing, aren't they? I—you received one the other day because I have some savings in, in a savings account. I, I got an extra hundred bucks for doing nothing, just saving my money sitting in there. That's something for nothing, isn't it? Um, so it's so it's happening all the time, isn't it? Really. The rich people are getting it all the time, uh, but they don't talk about it. Uh, the The, the, the labour scheme to cut the uh, superannuation payment for pensioners was another example of it, people getting something for nothing. Um, there's all kinds of scams out there. Well, this, I think, this UBI is a scam that I think is worth doing, worth getting. I mean, it seems very utopian, I guess, and, and I know elites and, and the rich like to talk, like to disparage things like socialism, as pure utopianism but really I mean we're living for some people we, we are living in a utopia right now it's a you certainly capitalism has created a utopia for the rich if nothing else um, so why shouldn't you know the working class people poor people have some sort of hope for a utopia as well what's wrong with that and that's how I see that, I, I really see it, it's, it's almost a form of utopia. We we know that utopias are a dead end uh, in the end, that um, life is always an eternal struggle. If you, you take away that struggle and, and everything's perfect, then you may as well just die. Um, we're not talking about that. Um, to have a UBI is not necessarily, the, as actually Guy Standing says, it's not a panacea for everyone's problems, but it's really just a basic... Start to, to help people live in dignity and and without fear and uh, I think it's a good thing. So universal basic income, I'm for it. How about you?
1: Swamped. 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 Doing that like jumping again. Doing that like jumping again. Do that like jumping again. Swamp. Doing it like jumping again. Swamp. Doing it like jumping again.
0: Swamp. Doing it like jumping again. Swamp. I'm feeling swamped. Alright, you're on the swamp with Russ, and this is the point where I need to give you a warning. This following talk may contain small amounts of God, or maybe large ones of God. So be warned, uh, I will be talking about that that concept very soon in this talk which is going to be is to start off with at least about films films I've seen recently I saw the new Tomb Raider which I enjoyed because I'm a big Tomb Raider fan I played all the games I enjoyed the, the Angelina Jolie films and uh, and I like this new film it, it's Based very very closely on the the reboot game that there came about two thousand and twelve, uh, simply titled Tomb Raider, which which featured a much more streamlined Lara Croft, a uh, much younger one, one before she was doing her tomb raiding, um, when she's still young and naive and before she'd even killed someone and. Uh, the the game made much of, of the scene where she kills has to kill someone for the first time and the film repeats that and uh, it was one of the things I really enjoyed about the film. There are certain sections where it could be straight out of the game and it's it's an unusual experience to watch a film where something happens where you've actually done it yourself. You Manipulating this character as as in, within a game, and and I moved Lara around this tomb sort of thing, and and there is this is other a- Lara played by this um, other actress, and uh, and she's doing the same thing. It's it's an interesting um, experience, but uh, bottom line, I guess it's just another action adventure film, um, and you either like them or you don't, and by all means, feel feel free to ignore it. I saw another film, uh, an old one from the 1980s as well recently, a film called Labyrinth, which I, I hadn't seen before. That's the the David Bowie film directed by Jim Henson featuring a, a host of Muppets plus the delectable uh, Jennifer Connolly who's very young in this she's only about fourteen. this is one of her first films and I've got to say I was really blown away by the film. It was much better than I thought it would be um i, I guess I, I i watched the film because I was reminded of it from reading that that book um, I talked about about the about you've got to see this um favorite films from um, film directors and actors a number of the people in that especially the women cited Labyrinth as a favourite and um, it reminded me I hadn't seen it and it's another Jennifer Connelly that I hadn't seen and I because I, I love that actress so much I had to see it finally and um, enjoyed it really quite a lot um, it really is an amazing film the uh, the technical details that go into it to, to include all these muppet characters and the live characters and the action and and the sets are, are amazing the sets of the labyrinth itself or it comes to a climax with a scene that's straight out of the that mc escher um illustration um i think it was called relativity where you've got the, the stairways going off into different sort of planes different sort of angles um there's sort of Gravity-defying, and and it's a like a live-action version of that. Um, Jennifer Connelly's character, um, S- Sarah, um, meets Bowie's Goblin King character, is walking around the the stairways, going upside down and sideways, and. It really is an amazing scene, and I have to say I was really impressed with Jennifer Connelly's uh, performance in the, in this film because it couldn't have been easy to to play the role um, to play against these Muppets and this really strange tone, I guess that, that is set um, in the this film because it's it's got kind of a halfway between fantasy and reality and must have been very difficult to to play it straight and 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 play it believably and I think she did a really good job the. Uh, This 14-year-old girl um, just makes me impressed that much more with with the actress and her career. Anyway, it was Labyrinth, fabulous film. Um, If you you never caught it, um, catch it. It was made in 1986 and it still really stands up today, I think. And it also features a a terrific Bowie song, uh, Underground, which I've grown to really, really love. But we didn't do too much that was of interest musically to me in the 1980s. But that one, I think, was pretty good. And now, now let's go to the um, the main film that I, I saw over the week. Uh, it was a film which came out, I think it was, it was last year, uh, Alien Covenant, the Ridley Scott film which I also saw in the cinema and I had a chance to see it again on DVD recently. And I also watched it, as is my want, with Ridley's commentary afterwards. So in some ways, this uh, segment is going to be another one of those fun things to do with DVDs and and the commentary tracks. And uh, I thought what he had to say about the film was kind of interesting. And here he is from his commentary at the beginning of the film. I did the original Alien, as you probably know and then decided uh, a couple of years ago to resurrect the alien franchise by actually doing a film called prometheus where we would revisit the question the biggest question of all about the whole movie which no one had ever asked who would make such a biomechanoid hideous thing and for what reason so prometheus was the first one in that step forward to discover how and why So take that in Uh, He's talking about uh, Prometheus The the film before Covenant And in that film uh, Mankind is actually created by um, These creatures called The Engineers Who are not God Um, And so you get Covenant where um, Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the film But I'm going to tell you now uh, Mankind's creation David, as played by Michael Fassbinder um, Creates The aliens So What's going on here? I, I don't see why the aliens had to have been created by, by, by humanity's own uh, creation, and and that it couldn't be uh, a creature created by God or, or through just normal evolution. I don't really see the why He needs to do that. It reminds me of um, that that poem, "The Tiger" or "Tiger, Tiger" by William Blake. Um, surely you know it um, you know. Tiger, tiger burning bright In the forests of the night What immortal hand I dare frame Thy fearful symmetry uh, A fabulous poem Worth checking out If you haven't read it before um, All of that sort of stuff um, Is going on here I think I'm not really sure Whether Blake would agree with, with Ridley on this one I get the feeling from the poem Blake feels that Of course God must have made the tiger as well it's so all the others that only goes without saying um that's what makes god god you know um and so coming back to the film alien covenant and good old ridley scott i uh, i feel um he's kind of misdirecting us here that's why i i'm one of those uh believers in the in the non-interventionist guided idea i think if i think of god it all if i were to manifest God as a person, I, I would see him or her as a mad scientist, basically madly creating a way, um, experimenting with potions, and um, coming up with a big bang and and sending off the universe, and, and being fascinated by the way it evolves and and it, and it it changes and transforms, but not necessarily having anything to do with it beyond creating it in the first place is the way I see God. Um, Lots of people have written songs about God, and here's one that I think is uh, an interesting take on on God, an angry take, you might say. Let's have a listen to it now and get out of here. <laughs> British group, XTC there, with uh, their song Dear God, a song written by Andy Partridge, uh, their main songwriter, I would say. Uh, Colin Moulding, was their bass player, was also a songwriter with them. But he didn't contribute so much, but Andy did that one. That was an interesting song for them. It was actually a song that did not appear on the album Skylarking. It was a B-side on the, the single Grass, uh, but it proved so popular they ended up having to put that on the album. Um, for good reason, I think. And, and features what sounds like a a, a young boy s- singing at the start and the end. Actually, it's sung by a girl, believe it or not. In In the video clip for, for this song, um, they actually used a boy. Uh, but, yeah, it was a girl. And um, Andy Partridge, the songwriter, he clearly is one of those rabid atheists. Uh, he said it's come out about this in his interviews with, about the song. And it's very clear in the song. Um, he, he really set out to really piss christians off with that one and i think he did a really good job but i um you know i wonder about atheists like andy um you know if the, the statisticians are to be believed um something like only 5% of the world is made up of atheists the rest of us are believers um especially the third world and it's very much a, th- a first world phenomenon i would say um correct me if i'm wrong the whole idea of atheism um, not believing in any kind of god, that everything is is comes from humanity. Um, so it, it's one of those questions. I'm sure atheists, you know, who are serious about their atheism, sh- must wonder. You know, you're only five percent of the world, guys. And um, what makes you so special? It's interesting. Anyway, it's worth pondering. Um, hopefully, this talk about God hasn't put you off, and you're still with me, with Russ on the swamp. Uh, I think we're, we're done for now. It's time to get out of here. Hopefully we'll back with uh, Rui next time. Uh, but you never know. You never know. Rui may have transformed into a lizard by now. I don't know. Transformations can be like that. Um, so this is Russ out for another, another session of the swamp. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, catch you later.